Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect program. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the program, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this program is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your host for today's program, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, Tanisha, thank you, and I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect program, Living, Coping, and Working with Cancer. And this is part two of this two-part series, and the focus of today's program is the bereaved caregiver in the workplace. Now, today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and a number of other organizations, and I want to mention our collaborating partners, the American Association of Occupational Health Nurses, Association of Clinicians for the Underserved, Association of Oncology Social Work, the Intercultural Cancer Council, the Multinational Association of Supportive Care in Cancer, and the National Family Caregivers Association. It is this collaboration that has enabled us to reach so many of you. And we have on today's program over 817 people. And you come from all over the United States, from large cities and smaller cities, rural areas, um, and you also come from international locations, from uh, Canada, from Africa, and from the UK. So we are delighted to have so many of you on the call today. This is clearly a critical uh, issue and a critical issue in the workplace and a critical issue for each of you individually as well. I would like to turn your attention for a moment to the packet of materials that you received in the mail. In that packet, there are informational pieces about today's call. There's an outline that our speakers have prepared and will be following. There also is information about each of the sponsoring organizations and information about some upcoming programs at Cancer Care, future telephone education workshops, some of our online and telephone support group information. And we also have information for those of you in the corporate sector who might be interested in a corporate donation inquiry uh, to make a contribution to Cancer Care as well. We also um, have an evaluation form in our packets, and we ask you to take a moment and complete that information. You know, your feedback is really critical to us to both document the need for the programs, but also your suggestions and your comments help us to keep, your, to keep these programs most relevant to meet your needs. So we very much depend upon your feedback so that we can develop programs that you really need. So please um, tell us what you'd like, and we'll very much try to create programs like that. Now, today's telephone education uh, program in this entire series has been made possible by an educational grant from Orthobiotech Products, and I would like to thank them for their support of today's program and for this entire series, and actually for their really uh, sterling effort to shine a light on the issues of people in the workplace who are facing cancer, who are, who are caregivers, and who are bereaved. So I want to thank them for that. Now, we have a wonderful faculty today, and I want to introduce our first speaker. Our first speaker is Dominic Bonanno. Dominic is an oncology social worker. He's a program coordinator at Cancer Care with particular expertise in really the bereavement and grief area. And I'm going to turn the program over to Dominic, who's really going to review with you a lot of the issues that you face in coping with grief and bereavement. Dominic? Carolyn, thank you very much. You know, whenever I do a uh, presentational workshop on grief or do an individual um, grief counseling session or a bereavement uh, support group, I like to think that we're creating a safe, sacred space 
right here at this moment, a space away from the ordinary, everyday activities, pressures, responsibilities, and cares of our very busy world. In this space, here right now, I hope you can experience a sense of community and togetherness in which you can feel supported and be provided with some good, helpful, solid information, ideas, and insights about grief, the grieving process, and how to better care for yourself, or what we call self-care. If you are responding to someone who is grieving, and of course in responding you, you really strive to be sensitive and caring, and these are other people in your life, um, in your family or anywhere, and especially in the workplace, which I'll be talking about a little bit later, um, hopefully there'll be some insights for you as well. It might be a coworker that's had a loss, or it could be a worker that you supervise or manage, or there might be some mental health professionals uh, on the line who are working with bereaved clients. Now, what am I going to cover um, in this space of time? Of course, this cannot be a comprehensive, full-scale treatment of grief, since there's so very, very much to talk about in grief. You know, countless seminars, books, and articles and, uh, have been done, books and articles written on, on grief which are, can be very, very helpful and which people who are grieving can turn to um, for education and support. However, I think we can highlight some important ideas and suggestions as we focus on the impact of grief on people's lives. Now, we don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. As a matter of fact, many times um, people will say that Grief raises many, many powerful questions, more questions than answers sometimes. And maybe these, these are you know, questions that you've asked. And what might they be? Well, why? Why did this happen? Why did my loved one die? How do I get over this? When will I feel better? How do I believe again that life is worth living? Will my life ever be the same again? I wonder if, if any of you out there have, uh, have asked these questions. And of course, the answers and, and insights around these questions really unfold slowly over time. And that's part of the grief process or the grief journey, you know, that is so often referred to, or the transformation, uh, the change in your life because of grief. Now, I just want to be aware um, and uh, sort of uh, reach, uh, highlight those of you on the call. There may be some of you who are grieving the loss of a spouse or a partner or a mother or a father or a child, a brother, a sister, a close friend, or a cherished coworker. So I want to just say this to you especially. I want to say, as I do in all workshops and counseling and groups, that my wish for you is that uh, you could have your loved one back and that you did not have to go through 
the distress of the loss. And I know that you wish that too. But of course, this is not within our power. Uh, as we realize the impact of grief uh, and how people lie, how people's lives change as a result, and the perspective, how you view life, your philosophy of life, um, uh, your kind of spiritual outlook on life, uh, it changes as, as a result of grief and the loss. But I want to emphasize really that grief is normal, natural, and expected. Grief is a normal, natural, expected reaction to any kind of loss, and especially through death. Now, of course, I use the word normal, and for people who are grieving, it doesn't always feel that way. It doesn't always feel normal. It feels sometimes anything but normal. And that's because of the, really, the intensity of the emotions involved. And we're going to talk about some of those feelings and emotions. Um, as a matter of fact, sometimes people say, gee, I just think I'm going crazy. I'm going to lose it. And we then always have to go back that this is part of the grieving process. So what are some of the... Um, of the emotions and all of these in terms of uh, feelings need to be acknowledged expressed and understood and there's a wide wide range of normal emotions and I think you, you might know them very well sadness anger guilt loneliness missing your loved one fatigue, feeling helpless like you can't do anything, yearning, yearning for your loved one, for just that connection, relief, you know, when people, your loved one has been sick maybe for a long time and perhaps, you know, suffering or in pain and so forth, there's, just, there's a sense of relief that, uh, that that's not happening anymore and, you know, that it's over. So there's a wide range of feelings. There are also physiological sensations that people experience, and they may feel a tight in your body, you know, tightness in your chest, in your throat, feeling of emptiness in the pit of your stomach, a restlessness, sometimes difficulty with concentration, some conf maybe sometimes feeling a little confused, or daydreaming, or a decreased sense of energy. You just don't have the energy that you would like. Again, these are normal. And behaviors, sometimes it's, you know, someone has some difficulty sleeping, or maybe you're not quite eating uh, as normally as you would like, or you might want to be alone, uh, or crying. Crying is a release, and it's very, very normal for people to feel as if they want to shed tears and cry uh, during their time of grief, uh, or even sometimes feeling the, the loved one's presence. All of these are, again, different kinds of behaviors that are normal. Now, most people go through normal grief. Most people go through normal grief. However, sometimes there is a deeper kind of grief, maybe something we call like a clinical depression where people really, really find it difficult to function, get out of bed, or, you know, don't want to eat. And that's a deeper state of distress. And, of course, that requires that you see a doctor or some mental health 
practitioner that really can evaluate you and there are things that, that you really can do to, to find helpful. But what we're going to be talking about today are uh, normal kinds of grief reactions. I came across, you know, I, which I thought was a wonderful Turkish proverb, one who conceals grief finds no remedy for it. One who conceals grief finds no remedy for it. And I think that kind of is in line with our philosophy at Cancer Care is that the, the feelings, the, the sensations and behaviors that we, that we really talk about are things that you can just bring out into the open and be able to communicate because it's really part of the grieving process, not to suppress, but to acknowledge and express. Okay? I'd like to talk just a little bit about, many of you may have heard of stages of normal grief or phases. And again, these go back and forth, but certainly it's a stage, obviously, of shock, that people are just shocked. They really just uh, can't really believe that, it, that, that the death has occurred. Sometimes numbness, people just sort of shut down and just can't really feel much of anything. Another phase of what we call kind of disorganization, meaning that you're just really focused on searching for your loved one and the emotions are very, very intense. And then we go into kind of this idea of reorganization where you're starting to see how your life could be lived differently and getting ideas about what you could do with your life without the loved person. And then this, and again, we all use different words for this, this process of resolution or recovery or healing or restoration, um, uh, all of these are where you're kind of coming to a sense that, you know, my life is going on and I'm trying to find um, a way to live my life well, um, recognizing the loss and still caring about the person who has died. And sometimes it's called like a working through process. And part of the working through process has to do with that accepting that the separation or loss has in fact occurred, experiencing and living through the pain of the grief, the strong emotions we, which we were talking about, which accompany uh, the loss. A third thing is to adjust to your life in which your loved one is missing, really painfully getting used to that, but realizing that you must get used to that. And the fourth is, again, the process of recovery or reorganization, uh, trying to invest in the process of developing new relationships, uh, new life in some way, a different life, maybe different is a better word, with the understanding that the, the loss will never be forgotten, that you will remember your loved one. And that it's a good thing to remember your loved one. And I want to kind of say that this idea of working through or just what I was talking about and then coming to restoration or recovery or healing, some people use that word if that's comfortable for you, or a return to, to feeling what is more normal in life, leads us to the important notion of hope. And we all need hope to sustain us. I mean, I think that's why you're on the call today, today, to get some sense of hope, that hope is possible. You might not always feel as strongly. People who are grieving don't always, but there is that possibility of hope. And I'd like to frame it, call the, maybe the three H's, history, honoring, and hope. 
History has to do with the relationship that you have with your loved one, the story, you know, of your life together. And, of course, the legacy that um, your loved one leaves behind. I'm thinking of a couple, man and wife, who were grieving the loss of their 27-year-old son who was a musician. And his legacy was his music. So every year they gave a concert in his honor. And this is going back a number of years that the son died. And sometimes the concert was even in another part of the world. It was once in Italy. And that was their way of, you know, acknowledging the history and a way honoring the legacy of their, of their loved person. And this idea of honoring grief, as difficult as it is, can be seen as a way of honoring your loved one. You tell the story of your relationship, the ups and the downs, the illness, the last days, person's accomplishments, as a matter of fact, the person's whole life. Because one of the painful things in someone's grief is the idea that the loved one is going to be forgotten. And that does not have to happen. As one woman said, I was married over 65 years to my husband. His influence on my mind, heart, and soul can never be captured fully in words. How can I ever forget him? And so this sense of history and honoring kind of, you know, that history is still part of your life and memories and pictures and the loved one's influence can provide hope and can provide this sense of what we call continuing bonds with uh, the person who has died. Grief will change over time. It'll be different. At some point, it may not be as intense as it was in the beginning. It's different. When we remember, we are conscious of what we still have, of what we can still hold on to. This concert that I talked about that these parents gave for their son and that held every year in his honor became a continuing bond. Now, life for these parents went on. They're working. They're still working now. They're involved with their other children. They take vacations. But in the midst of this, they're always deeply remembering their son. Now, there are many transitions on our, in our journey of grief, if I can use that word, a process of grief. And a major transformation for many grieving people is returning to work. So we're going to talk here about the workplace. Um, they return to work after the, you know, the person has died, you know, the funeral, maybe having been in the hospital for a period of time, um, and spending extended time with the family, and then they go back to work. Now, some people fear that they're not up to the task of, of resuming their job. And that, you know, some people feel it's just too much for them. However, I think many, many people, many more people, um, express that uh, returning represents getting back to a normal routine, structure, okay, and that this is hopeful, the structure of work, the distractions of the, of the workplace, of what is familiar, the accomplishments, the responsibilities. This can be very, very helpful to people as to keep themselves busy. Of course, there are different stories. One man who had a high-pressured sales job and was wanting to return to that, still had the task of cleaning out his mother's apartment after she died. And he felt uh, he couldn't be completely present at work until the apartment was cleared out. So, and he did get that done. That was another transition for him. So now the 
bereaved people find themselves at the workplace and, you know, they're busy and they're involved, but there were challenges and there were many, but one that I want to focus on is how much does the uh, bereaved person share with coworkers and managers and how to handle certain kinds of questions, all right? Uh, because coworkers and staff will, will, may ask questions or want to know things, and this sometimes can be, you know, somewhat overwhelming. Um, so a bereaved person may decide which coworkers you can open up to, because some people on the job may have had their own losses, and as such, they would be could be very sensitive and understanding based on their experience. Other coworkers, you might want to keep more at a polite distance, especially if some well-meaning coworkers ask, you know, intrusive questions. They may mean well, but maybe the questions aren't um, as well received. Could be painful on the job, which may make the bereaved person feel very, very sad or tearful. So we were thinking of a couple of kind of scripted responses, just responses that are very simple, but that you could sort of have ready so that you could say this. And so someone asked a question or maybe you felt was going too far and you didn't want to get into it, one response could be, thank you for asking and, uh, and for your concern. I know you're concerned. I'm doing the best I can, but perhaps I'm not ready to share very much about my grief at this moment. Sometimes it's difficult to discuss at work. Now, from, what about from the point of view of coworkers and, and managers who are trying to be caring and helpful to the grieving person? Sometimes they're, you know, they feel awkward. They don't know what to say. They don't want to make mistakes. One response, simple response might be, I want to express my condolences, and I want you to know that I'm thinking of you. I'm sorry for your loss, and I'm here if you wish to talk. And also remember that, you know, as caring people on the job, you don't have to have all the perfect answers or all have exactly the right things to say. Just be natural and maybe just a little bit humble because there aren't any perfect solutions to grief. Um, so hopefully having those sort of thinking about them ahead of time and being able to say them, you know, might be helpful and relieve you of some pressures. What about rituals? You know, grief does involve rituals and one could be going to the cemetery, lighting candles, looking at pictures. One woman remembers uh, the bus stop her brother used to use every day uh, for work. Uh, and, when he, and when she passes it, because they live in the same neighborhood, she touches it and says his name. And that, that's kind of a ritual. Now, what about at work as a bereaved person? Can you find some rituals at work? Maybe. Yeah, I think so. Maybe taking time to remember a special moment with your loved one during the day maybe meditating at a quiet time in your office if you have a, you know, a private space, praying, reading a favorite poem to yourself, or taking a, a, a walk at lunchtime and remembering certain kinds of memories that, that you feel you can you know, hold on to. Um, these are rituals that you can incorporate. Now, how can, how can cancer care be helpful for the bereaved? I want you to remember, as Carolyn always says, don't you, Carolyn? that we're just a phone call away. Our social workers will encourage you to reach in, meaning expressing and, and validating your feelings, which you have a right to, and also to reach out. To what? Reach out to 
some grief literature. There's a lot of that around to some websites, grief websites, to counseling, maybe to an online group, which are which groups are available at, at Cancer Care. In the regional area here in New York, Long Island, New Jersey, here in Connecticut, we have offices. Our offices are here, and we have face-to-face bereavement uh, counseling and face-to-face bereavement groups. And we also do worksite programs and offer a consultation right in various offices around the area. And these are somewhat similar to the presentation. So we have decades of experience in this. So reach out to us. We'll reach right back to you. And remember, which I think is important, strive to believe you're doing the best you can as you grieve, the best you can. Let the history and the honoring be a wellspring of hope for you. And I wish you the best today. I want to thank you very much, Dominic, just for a really um, excellent and very moving presentation um, about uh, how the, the grief process um, evolves and the journey of the grief process. And also, and of course, your, your comment that indeed um, Sometimes people do need support, and the cancer care staff are here for everyone, um, and we are simply a phone call away. It's true. Uh, thank you very much, Dominic. Very, inspi- very inspiring and hopefully very helpful to everybody on the call. Our next speaker is Erin Carpinelli, and Erin is an occupational health nurse and a family nurse practitioner at Guardian Life Insurance Company. And Erin's going to talk to you a bit about the need for having some space at work when you're grieving. Erin? Yes, Hello. Um, Yes, I've been a nurse practitioner for 14 years and have been working in this employee health service of an insurance company that's like typical of many offices um, in the world now, very open space, lots of cubicles, and a lot of people don't have private space in their office. Um, My work with anyone who is bereaved or in crisis um, at my um, department isn't really a formal program, but just part of a general supportive service that we have here for anyone who has a need. But as Dominic mentioned, you know, everyone needs some space and time to relate to their emotions and handle different responses they have to loss. Um, you know, in the course of dealing with loss and grief, sometimes the emotional responses are not predictable for you as you're going back into your normal life and work. You know, memories may come up something may remind you, a song on the radio, and you feel like a little too vulnerable to be out in your public space and in your professional space. So what I try to consider um, here when we're providing help for people in those situations is that need for some private time and space. Um, It's important for everyone to maybe figure out for themselves where is their neutral space and some privacy within their office where they can go and sort of handle themselves if that's what they choose to do. I'm not recommending isolating themselves with their pain, but I think we can all relate to a time when maybe we just really wouldn't have wanted to be vulnerable. Dominic had also mentioned, um, you know, kind of choosing who you want to be emotionally vulnerable with at work. There may be people that you just, don't want to see that side of you at this time and you're not comfortable with that. Um, What I find is most workers come maybe into my department, um, maybe in your work areas, there's a place in the human resources department if you don't have occupational health services, um, where they can come into one of our conference rooms or we also have a library and just, 
you know, have a seat and relax. We've sort of developed it a little. We have a place for a tape player. People can do, you know, listen to some music or some guided visualizations. We use that a lot to help people who are experiencing stress who might be having a high blood pressure or something. Because we're medical, we think of these things. But even emotionally, a lot of them appreciate this space. Um, and it's the privacy. I think we lose that a lot in the cubicle environment. Um, other consultations that come up are when people, managers and supervisors, are a little befuddled by dealing with someone else's grief. They really don't know how to respond. And Dominic gave some excellent examples of some scripted ideas of things to say so that when you get in that awkward moment, the don't feel bad statement doesn't come out of your mouth because it's such a reflex to say to someone, well, don't feel bad, whatever, you know. Everyone needs to feel what they're feeling, you know, and they're going to feel badly. And we don't want them to, but it, it's just the reality of it. Um, I also, though, will remind people to realize it's not unprofessional of them to want to ask for this time and space to handle their emotions and their grief related to a loss. It's a significant thing to lose something that was a permanent part of your life. Um, a person, as Dominic was also mentioning, touches you in so many ways. Um, but in our world where people are trying to be competitive and reveal their competence and their professionalism at all times, they feel weakened um, when they're grieving. And just recognizing that this isn't a reflection on your ability as a competent professional or as a person to actually need to make time and space for your emotions at this time. It's actually, um, I think, a sign of wisdom to recognize and respect your emotional needs um, when you're dealing with loss and grief. And that's really all I wanted to share today. So thank you, Carolyn. Well, Erin, I want to thank you. Um, a very important perspective and very important um, what you've said in terms of the need for having the space and a place um, and a neutral space um, when you're with your emotions at times. And you're quite right, the workplace of today with the way it's structured often doesn't allow that. So thank you, and it's an important piece um, in this call today. Thank you. Our next speaker is uh, Skip Schlank, and Skip is consultant and former director, AT&T Family Care Development Fund. And Skip is going to present the corporate perspective, and actually she has been presenting that now on these programs for the past couple of years that we've offered the programs. And so um, it's with great pleasure that I bring on uh, Skip to um, present to you that perspective. Skip? Thank you, Carolyn. And today my remarks are truly focused on the workplace and the previous uh, presenters talked a lot about the emotional needs and response. And my remarks will focus more on the practical things that can happen in a workplace. Because bereavement in the workplace does enjoy the attention of model organizations. It's a critical issue that's only going to increase with the aging of the workforce. And model programs provide, model companies provide programs, services, and assistance for employees who are grieving. These programs are generally embedded in the Human Resource Department and the Employee Assistant Department of companies. And indeed, there is a business reason for companies to pay attention. According to the Grief Recovery Institute, 
a nonprofit foundation in Sherman Oaks, California. Grief costs U.S. companies more than $75 billion. That is billion annually in lost productivity. So helping employees deal with their personal grief as well as that of others is good business. Human resource departments generally take the lead to develop and deliver bereavement programs and manager education. First among HR responsibilities is to establish bereavement policies and make sure that policies and procedures are in place. End-of-life benefits can include life insurance, bereavement leave, emergency loans, or accelerated benefits for terminal illness, condolence, gifts, and in some companies, a leave-sharing program where coworkers can donate unused personal time to a fellow worker in need. This leave assistance program is very important for some employees because remember, FMLA is only in effect to care for the living. So companies that have other leave programs and policies, flexible work arrangements, are very, support, are very, very supportive of the grieving employee. Because, you know, a full week of bereavement leave is not sufficient for most employees. There are also programs for legal assistance that help with living wills, power of attorney, and other issues requiring legal help. Some companies have a computer-based program. It can be called LifeTracks. It can be called anything. The program enables employees to enter a life-changing event, for example, the birth of a child, marriage, the death of a family member. And the system then lays out the company programs such as hospice, legal assistance, life insurance, leave, in a single format. And this format includes actions that need to be initiated by the employee and any timelines that might apply. And this is a very powerful, useful tool for both the employee and the manager to use. Human resources should routinely ask and encourage employees to keep their wills current, to arrange for presentations on the power of attorney, living wills, and yes, even funeral options. In addition, human resources and employee assistance programs provide managers with guides for grief in the workplace. Just because you're a manager doesn't mean you have all the right answers or the words as the previous speakers indicated. Educating managers is also a good business practice because according to statistics, 15% of the workplace is grieving is experiencing some level of grief at any given time. Companies who get it and the companies who do it right are those that work with managers and don't totally outsource the response and support for a grieving employee. So what can a manager do? Understand that there are different situations. There's a sudden death of a coworker. There's tragedy as in 9-11. There's a coworker who lost a child, a spouse apparent. Even with these different situations, one of the first things is to ensure that managers treat all bereaved employees equitably. If the policy is to send flowers, then make certain flowers are always sent. Earlier, I mentioned a computer program to streamline procedures to make it easier to access services and notify all administrative departments. But this streamlining, whether it's done by a computer or 
or another process, it's very important no matter how it's accomplished. And then back to the human side, managers serve as a liaison between the grieving employee and his or her fellow workers. The manager can call the employee and ask, what would you like me to say to your colleagues? And if the manager, for whatever reason, cannot fulfill that liaison role, then the manager should designate another capable employee, perhaps one who has a relationship or a friendship with the grieving party. The manager can also channel the acts of colleagues for both emotional support and practical assistance to coordinate meals, childcare, funeral visits, flowers, even phone calls. The employees at the work site will look to the manager for direction. And the manager can also, this is very important, make certain that fellow employees can attend any of the services. As an example, a first-hand experience I had while at AT&T, a colleague suffered a brain aneurysm and died suddenly and unexpected. All of the members of the extended work group were assembled first thing the next morning and informed. All members were told of the arrangements. And since the services took place quite a distance from the offices, transportation was arranged for employees who wished to attend the service. Following the services, a special area back at the office was set up for lunch and an employee gathering place. Within a month, there was a memorial tree planting with the family of the deceased employee and all members of the extended work group. Clearly, this vice president recognized the important role of, for leadership and support in the workplace. A manager's role cannot be overstated. Again, it's HR's responsibility to provide managers with ongoing guides and tools so they can in turn lead and support the employees. Once the grieving employee returns to work, the manager again is placed in a lead role. But human resources can help by having a combined meeting with the supervisor and the returning employee. Bereaved people may want to talk and the manager should ask and be prepared to listen to any details that that employee might want to share. Both human resources and the manager should initiate a talk about the work schedule. Does the employee need a flexible schedule, a reduced workload, or some modification? If there's a need for work to be redistributed, then a group or a team meeting is needed because coworkers need to be part of the discussion and part of the solution. The manager may need to be reminded that there is a need for time off on the part of the grieving employee to see a lawyer, to change car titles, to do a host of activities, some great, some trivial, but all necessary. The manager, again, takes the lead role in reintroducing the grieving employee to the workplace. And he, sets, he or she sets the tone for other employees who might not know what to say, what to do. And human resources and employee assistance folks can help the manager arrange for the transition and both groups can work with employees at the manager's request. And of course, grief is not settled in a prescribed number of hours and days. So there are support groups, employee assistance, hospice groups that can help the employees work through the stages of grief. 
good companies employ, inform the employee of the programs and provide time for the employee to use them. So to summarize, good companies have policies and procedures for bereavement. Human resources can provide the lead in establishing policies and ensuring that the policies and procedures are known and accessible to employees and managers. Employee education is ongoing. Informing employees of end-of-life issues such as living wills, power of attorney, and grief education should be offered for employees with special sessions for managers. There should be a universal application of practices, whether it's leave, flexible work arrangements, or even flowers. Employees and managers have access to streamlined and comprehensive services that include timelines for action. Managers have good human resource education and training so they can provide that leadership and communication. Grief support and other programs are in place. Employees at the workplace are supported by the manager, human resources, and employee assistance programs. And there is an internal environment that reaches out to both the grieving employee and fellow workers to ensure an environment of respect and compassion. And that concludes my remarks today. Thank you very much. Well, I would like to thank you very much, Skip, for a, a superb presentation and also um, for really uh, identifying really a superb, um, really a model um, for corporate response to grief and bereavement and a compassionate response. Um, so I want to thank you very much. I, I know that there will be time during the discussion um, that people will ask questions, but it's um, really an excellent model um, of workplace compassion um, at, at this time of need of employees. So thank you. And also the issue of, of training managers is such a critical issue. Um, I think all of our speakers have made the point that many managers really have not been trained as to how to deal with these situations. Well, I want to thank our speakers today. You've really uh, been outstanding and really um, providing of a you know, the information to everybody today about this topic, which is a very important one. I also want to remind everyone this is a one-hour education program and that we recognize in planning a program like this that you all have many needs that go far beyond the scope of one-hour program. And I do want to let you know about the services of cancer care in a little more detail so that we don't want anyone to feel alone with coping with um, grief or bereavement or, or in the workplace as well. And so... Um, uh, cancer Care has a staff of 40 master's level trained oncology social workers, and they are available to speak to you to provide counseling and support um, and practical assistance um, in coping with, um, with grief and bereavement. We also offer support groups. Uh, Dominic had mentioned we offer telephone support groups, and we offer online support groups, and people find those very helpful. We also do offer consultation to workplaces that are struggling in terms of not knowing quite how to deal with uh, grief and loss in the workplace, and, and uh, so we do offer those services as well. As we conclude the program, I don't want anyone to feel that you're alone in coping with grief and loss and bereavement. We want you to feel that you're now part of a structure of services that you can access and that, um, that you can call upon us um, for help. And I want to thank you all for participating today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all.
Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the program. You may disconnect and have a wonderful day.